Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 East Village. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at c3ev.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 East Village. Thank you. So good. That's it. We're going to go about the word now. So thank you, Amelia. Isn't she awesome? Like baby due next month and here playing. And so please, these stairs don't trip. Like these have been freaking me out all day, these stairs. Um, So I know there's people here from all kinds of different things. Some people who regularly come on out to C3 East Village. They don't need you, Brad. Um, and, and some who are visiting from out of town, family members, and some who, uh, you heard there was free food, so you came along, that's awesome too. Um, and there's, maybe you were tricked into being here tonight by your friend. Okay, don't blame me, blame your friend if you were tricked. But however you found yourself here tonight, we just welcome you and thank you for being with us. And um, we're gonna, I'm going to share a, a 20-minute message on, on what I believe Easter is and what we're doing here tonight and why we're celebrating. But for anybody who's read the, the New Testament and the accounts of Jesus' life, something becomes very apparent. Wherever he turned up, people seemed to party. Pe- people seemed to celebrate. Something was taking place. And so that's why we b- believe in getting together and having food together here tonight and feasting, celebrating and, and partying. Uh, and then also every week, like Brad said, 6 p.m. At, at Fort Calgary, we do that as well. But Something was different about Jesus. When he showed up, people would party. People would celebrate. And so we're going to look at that tonight. So why are we here? Why do we celebrate Easter weekend? Well, we celebrate that Jesus came to earth to live the life that we could not live. Through his death on the cross, pay a debt that we could not pay. And then rise from the dead victorious over death, right? That's what we're celebrating here tonight. And what did this do for us? This gains us access into a relationship directly with God. Not by how hard we strive, not by doing the right religious motions or, or going to church or, or reading the Bible the, the right amount of times or, or praying the right prayers, but simply through believing who Jesus is. That, that's, that's what it gained for us. It's not a formula. It's not a set of rules but it's through Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus is speaking, and and he's uh, answering a question that was brought to him, and, and he says this, Jesus states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's who Jesus is. So if you've ever wondered who Jesus is, what he says about himself is that he's the way, that he's the truth, and that he's the life. Right here, this, uh, this actually stops us from being able to conclude that Jesus was just a good teacher, that he was just some good moral guy. Because, you know, as C.S. Lewis states, he says, um, you know, a good person wouldn't tell people, I'm paraphrasing, that they're God unless they were telling the truth. He's not just a good person. He says he's God. So, so you can't just settle on, and I can't just settle that Jesus, well, he was a good guy with some good ideas. Because a good guy with good ideas doesn't tell people that he's God unless he is God. So that's the decision we're here facing today. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the solution 
put in place by God himself to the ultimate dilemma we, we all face. And that's how can a holy and righteous and perfect God mix with an imperfect people and not contradict his own nature. And one thing God can't do is contradict his own nature. We always think that, well, he's God, he can do anything. No, there's lots of stuff God can't do. If God is love, he can't be unloving. If God is compassion, he can't be incompassionate or uncompassionate, <laughs> the opposite of compassionate. So the solution to that problem is that he sent Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm excited about to spend the next few minutes talking to you about. That God initiated the plan of himself coming to live amongst his people, live the sinless life, which just means he, he lived a perfect life. He, he didn't mess it up. I don't know about any of you guys, but, but I, I, I mess up every day. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm so thankful for a perfect Savior named Jesus who came and lived that on my behalf. So it's not about my performance. It's not about that anymore. It's about what he did. And then he was sacrificed on our behalf, and a great exchange was made on the cross. And that great exchange was, yes, for my sin, which, you know, is the the things that we, we don't get right, but for all the sickness, all the evil, all the depravity, all the wrath, all the anything in this world that isn't, isn't how it should have been. And I don't know if any of you guys realize this. We live in such a, a great world, but it's probably, it feels like it's not how it's meant to be. There's some stuff that's a little bit wrong. And he took all that on the cross and exchanged for, for me, for you, for each one of us, for every person, what we call the great exchange. He's righteousness which means he's right standing with God. So God no longer looks at you and sees what you've done. He actually looks at you and sees Jesus in you. It's a beautiful thing. So that's good news, that God made a way, that he made that for you, he made it for me. It's made available for every person. In John 3.16, many of us would know this scripture, even if you, you don't attend church regularly. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Is anyone here a resident of the world? Yeah, oh good, this is for you. Good, I'm in the right place. This includes us, that he sent his son for us. So I, I just want to set the context um, by reading from Isaiah 53. It'll come up here on our Sky Bible in the corner here. Years before Christ. Bibles or notepads around you, you can turn to it as well. But this is written hundreds of years before Christ walked the earth, and it's a foretelling of his life. And I just want this to set the context of what we're celebrating at Easter and what took place. Starting from verse 1, chapter 53, it says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought that his troubles were a punishment from God a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. 
All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. What a powerful passage of Scripture. I can't even begin to unpack that tonight. I'd encourage you to, to really, in the busyness of Easter weekend and of food and eating and fun and celebrating like we're going to do, why don't you take some time to actually look at what the Bible says about Easter, what the Scriptures say, because my Bible says that I don't find access through a pastor in a church anymore, a guy up the front with the, the microphone, which for you guys here tonight, that's a really good thing that you're not relying on me because we're all doomed if that's the case. But actually, it's, a, it's through Jesus Christ and our own relationship with Him. And you have the power to open up the Scriptures, and God will speak to you. It's not about, um, you know, who has the right degrees and who's done the, the thing. But I do have some thoughts uh, from this tonight, and as we continue to unpack Scripture that I'd like to share. But the question is, why does it matter? Why does Easter matter to, to you, to I, to the world? Every year, the story is the same. Easter time rolls around, the same scriptures are reflected upon. If you've been around before, you've probably heard it. There should be no surprises for those of us who have read the story. The words have not, not really changed. There are no new characters added in that take us off guard and surprise. The story is as was recorded close to 2,000 years ago. No Mandela effect has changed the outcome since last Easter. It's the same today as it was ever since it happened. So why does it matter for our world today? C.S. Lewis, again, I'm quoting C.S. Lewis a couple of times tonight. He says in his book, Mere Christianity, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, infinite, infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. This is so true. Why does it matter? What does it mean for the world today? That Jesus Christ approximately... Three, had three years of traveling around, healing people, performing miracles, sharing the, the word, um, the Bible, unpacking the scriptures in a way that had never been unpacked before. Because instead of, of telling the story that, that God is on his way sometime, that the kingdom of God is coming and you better get ready, he actually said the kingdom of God is here now. And, and it's me and I'm here. And that's why the party broke out because that's hope. That stirs up hope in us. And so Jesus starts um, performing miracles, like I said. He's mixing with the outcasts, the forgotten, the unclean, the unwanted of society, proclaiming that God's not just for some other people, He's actually for you. I don't know if anyone's ever felt unwanted, alone, misplaced, um, not sure what, what, what life is like or what it's meant to be. I know, I know I find myself in those places. That We're the kind of people and you're the kind of person that Jesus would want to hang out with. He actually came for you, and he's the one that will be celebrating and, and, and saying that things are going to be okay, I'm here now. And so then he arrives after three years to Jerusalem um, on a donkey. He, he rides in to celebrate the Passover meal with his uh, disciples. We call that Palm Sunday. Uh, I think we should really call it Donkey Sunday, because the donkey's mentioned. I mentioned this last week at church. He's mentioned it in four, all four accounts of the gospel, that the palms are only mentioned in one of them. You know, I'm not going to start a petition or anything. Just start calling it Donkey Sunday. No, not really. But, um, and he arrives on this donkey, which represents so much amazing things that I don't have time to get into tonight. Jesus is condemned in a false trial, tortured beyond recognition, crucified on a cross, about 40 days committed. 
in a tomb, and then after three days, rises. He spent about 40 days commissioning and hanging with his disciples to literally go out and turn the world upside down with the good news. I have found for me, after years of studying and and reading the Bible and praying through the story, every year the Holy Spirit emphasizes a new dynamic to it, a new part of it that speaks to me, that continues to deepen the the beauty of the gospel story. And and I'm only going to show us a small portion of that tonight as I... My intro is over. That was a long intro, I know. But I want to look at the two sides of the cross tonight. And we're going to be reading from Luke 23. And I want to unpack, yeah, my message is two sides of the cross, if I'd given it a title. Luke 23, again, it'll come up on the screen here. This is after Jesus has gone through the false trials, the, the torture, and he's being led, to, led off to uh, be crucified. And it, and it says in verse 32, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. It wasn't Jesus alone on that day. Actually, lots of people would have been getting crucified. It, it says criminals there. When you look into the original language, this, means, this doesn't mean they just stole a Mars bar from Safeway. These are hardcore criminals. Like they probably, um, it says thieves in some translations, but it means to be crucified for being a thief under the Roman rule, it would probably means that what they were doing, they, it was seen as an act of revolution against the empire, and it had involved murder and killing people, and they, they were seasoned, hardcore criminals, these guys. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Verse 35, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. There were two sides of the cross that day, two men next to Jesus, both of whom were presented with the same situation, the same happenings, the same story, but one who acknowledged Jesus as someone a little different, not like his fellow partner in crime, hanging on the cross next to him. He noticed that Jesus wasn't like the thousands of others who had been crucified under the Roman Empire as, as in its days as a superpower. The two criminals both had a choice. And it's the same question presented to each one of us. What are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with Jesus? Which side of the cross do we find ourselves on? In other accounts of the scenes, in the other, the other Gospels, um, it actually says that the criminals both started hurling insults. Initially, they were both criticizing and mocking Jesus. But then, for one of them, something changed. You know, I don't know what 
what made that change? Was it the time, the words that he heard as he was mocking and scoffing Jesus towards Jesus when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is that, is that when it changed? Perhaps it when he, was when he witnessed in a moment when Jesus was beaten and bloodied and, and tired and exhausted and broken bones in his body. Every time he tried to breathe would have been a shot of pain like lightning through his body. In that moment, maybe he witnessed that Jesus still loved and cared so much that he would actually take time to instruct one of his disciples to care for his mother. That's what we see in the book of John. Maybe it wasn't then. Maybe the criminal taking a a few seconds between the mocking of Jesus, but also the kicking and the beating of and the yelling at the people who were crucifying him. Um, Maybe he, he ran out of breath because he was hurling so much insults at them. And he took a moment and he looked across at Jesus, composed, not pleading his innocence that he had every right to plead, but actually forgiving and caring for his the people who were crucifying him. In Isaiah 53, if we continue that scripture verse that we read before, verse 7, it's speaking of Jesus, said, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep, he was silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. Maybe it was in that moment. We simply don't know the exact moment. But we do know that in a moment, a hardcore seasoned criminal believed Jesus was who he said he was. And in that moment, Jesus showed him compassion. Jesus showed him grace. I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. I mean, of all the moments that Jesus could have had a moment, right? You'd think at the, that we'd give him a little bit of grace if in that time after all the torture and all the execution that he could have said, look, you're too late, friend. Like, you missed out. Or, oh, for my own sake, Give me a moment. He could have done that then. We'd forgive him. But Jesus, actually, he couldn't do that because that's not his nature. That would be contradictory to the nature of God. Jesus is the Son of God who only did and said what the Father does. The Bible shows us that God is love, that God is grace, that God is compassion. That means he cannot be unloving. He cannot be unforgiving. He cannot not show compassion to people. And the same disposition that he had towards that criminal on that day is the same that he has for you today, no matter where you are, no matter where you found yourself in life, whether you believe in him or not, he is extending grace and compassion to you right now. He loves you. Which side of the cross are you on? Maybe like me in my my past, I didn't always grow up in church or or knowing God. Maybe you've been apathetic towards God. Maybe... um, You've accused gods of things. Why did that happen? Or or you've mocked him. um, Or you've simply ignored him. Like I said, the beauty of the cross and Easter and what we're here celebrating together. And as we see in that story, that in a moment, in an experience with Jesus, that can change. All of it goes away. All of it gets wiped away. Jesus' arms are towards you, are open right now. He is not angry at you. He is not against you. He simply needs you to accept that he is who he says he is. I would love to give you that opportunity in a few moments and lead us in a prayer together. If you've never met Jesus before and you want to say, tonight is the night where I want to invite him into my world. But maybe you're here today and and you have a relationship with God and and you've met Jesus before, maybe when you were a kid, maybe last week, maybe whenever that's been. That's awesome. 
There's nothing more exciting than that, is there? It's a beautiful thing. But us believers in Christ, we find ourselves on two sides of the crosses and in the tension of two sides of the crosses as well. It's not to the left or right, but are we living on the side of the cross, pre-resurrected Christ, where he's still hanging on a cross dead? Or are we living in the post-resurrected, Jesus is alive on his throne and he's empowered us with his spirit side of the cross. That's the two sides that we find ourselves on. If you don't know God, are you on the left? Are you on the right today? Are you, do you see Jesus for who he is or are you blocking him out of your world? But if you do know Jesus, which side of the cross are you on? I want to look just here in closing on, at Luke 24, verse 1 to 8. Turn there in my Bible here. So this is after Jesus has been put in the tomb. He's been there for, for a little while now. And, and um, the, the women who were in his world at that time are going to visit the, the cross and to lay flowers down. Verse 1 to 8. So it says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. You know, if you were going to make up the Bible and make up the story, sometimes this gets accused. This isn't what you would have done. Um, this is one of the many things to me that proves that this is legit, that the Bible is real. Because in the day, the women's opinion wasn't actually considered much. It wasn't, wouldn't be um, taken in in a court of, of trial. It wouldn't be presented as evidence. They would disregard it. So if you're going to make up a story to try and prove something, that's not the story you would pick. But here, it's not about making up a story. It's actually about what took place and what happened. And so the, the, the men had run away scared. Males, hey, typical males. And the women were ar- arriving at the tomb. And they got there early on the Sunday morning. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered what he had said about this. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. God is not dead. This is where the power takes place in the Easter story. For me, see the beauty of the old rugged cross that we sing about and that we think about and we reflect upon is that, yes, for a time Jesus was crucified and on the cross, but he's not on the cross anymore. He's not there anymore. Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, they both say actually that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is at work in us, is at work in you. What? What? No, that can't be right. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the cross is at work in you today. It's at work in me. This is good news. This is the side of the cross that a Christian's to live on. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is why we see that the disciples of Jesus, like I said, they ran away when he was crucified. And we all would. They were coward. They cowered. They were defeated because they thought that this isn't how it was meant to happen. And they were scared and afraid and timid. But when they met the resurrected Christ, 
when they received the spirit that Jesus had foretold them would come, courage of a lion, baby. They were standing up. They were preaching to the cities. They were happy to be persecuted for their faith, to be killed for their faith, not because they worshipped a crucified God, but because he was alive and he was risen and they had experienced that power of God. This is my reminder to us this Easter as we close here. I'd invite the... um, the band to come up because we want to end with a, a song to celebrate with. But, but there's four sides of the cross. I started off saying there was two sides of the cross. And there is, if we don't know Jesus in this place, but, but there's also the other two sides. Are you living on a pre-resurrected side of the cross? Or are you living in the spirit and power that he has for you today? What does it mean for us to live on the resurrected side of the cross? It changes everything for us. It changes the priorities we have, where we find purpose, where we get our identity from. When we experience his power, like really encounter his power of the living Jesus, it means when we face an obstacle, when we face a circumstance, when we get big come up in our world that just sort of would rattle us, that we can stand strong and say, no, 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 our God, Jesus Christ, overcame death on the cross. And I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of He's The spirit that was in Him is in me so I can overcome what I'm facing because I serve a living God who's alive, who's interested in my world, who's not far off, but He's alive and His power is with you. So in closing, my encouragement is this Easter to consider all sides of the cross. Left or right, where do you find yourself? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at c3ev.ca. See you next week.